Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, if you want to put up your hands, uh, we will get one to you. It's Christmas. I had a tie on this morning. I actually drove in with a tie on. I just, I just took it off. It's not me, is it? I, just, I wore one last year. I just couldn't do it. <clears throat> so please bear with me this morning. I got a bit of a, uh, bit of a head cold. Hence my voice is uh, a little bit lower. I quite like it. Sing along with Johnny Cash. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So as believers, we celebrate Christmas as, as the birth of Jesus Christ. We celebrate when the world, word became flesh and dwelt among us. The eternal second person of the Trinity entered into history as Jesus Christ. And as his coming, it was signpost, wasn't it? You know, the prophets, they, they screamed it from the Old Testament. Micah 3.1 tells us that the, the Messiah would stand in the temple. Isaiah spoke of how the Messiah would, would work miracles, how that he would make the lame walk, how he would heal the leper. The prophet Zechariah in chapter 9.9 wrote how the Messiah would, would ride into Jerusalem and I quote, riding, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah also predicted the piercing of the Messiah, which we know the happened that is crucifixion. And so did David. You know, a thousand years before the Messiah came, David wrote how his hands and feet would be pierced and how people would cast lots for his clothing. Psalm twenty-two sixteen. Before his birth, the, the prophets revealed his name that, that signified his deity. The prophet Isaiah wrote, and this is 300 years before his birth, Behold, the virgin shall conceive bear and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The prophets declared that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. Isaiah again 11, chapter 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And there are many, many more that we just would not have the time this morning to, to go through. So we have the eternal Son of God. He was sent. He chose to become of man, a man with, with all its limitations. He chose to live a human life with, with all its pain and suffering. And listen to what the Apostle Paul described to the church in Corinth in his second letter, chapter 8, verse 9. Speaking, he said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, he gave up his majesty, he gave up his glory. He turned his back on the riches of heaven in order to become one of us, 
in order to reach us. In order to, as Paul described in his letter to Titus, as, as we know, was ministering on the island of Crete, to redeem us from all wickedness. The very word that had spoken this universe into existence, he became a peasant child, the son to a carpenter. He wasn't born into royalty. He didn't live in a palace. He lived in poverty. So the prophets, they declared his coming. Angels announced his arrival to lowly shepherds. And wise men from the east came to worship him. Now, the Gospel of Matthew was written in order to prove to the Jewish people to his own people that Jesus was their promised king, that he was their Messiah. The Old Testament prophecy said that Jesus must be born the son of David, a descendant of Abraham. And that's why Matthew opens his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus. He's trying to get through to these stiff-necked, stubborn people that, look, your Messiah has come. Then in chapter 2, he gives us an account of Jesus' early childhood. But what we're also going to see in this morning's text are a group of people who couldn't care less about Jesus. We see that today. We have a group of people who hated Jesus they hated everything he said, everything he preached. But then we have those who adored and worshipped him as Christ and Lord over all. So let's look at the first verse. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem. So who were these wise men? Now, we know that they were wise, stating the obvious, and that they were from the east, most likely Persia, which is today it's modern-day Iran. And that's all Matthew tells us. That's it. Now, there's a lot of tradition and legends that have come up that surround the, these wise men. Tradition tells us that there was three of them. There could have been a lot more. And the reason why they say there's three is because there's three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. People say, and we often see in, in biblical scenes and in our cribs that they, came, that they came riding on camels with their sleeping bags tied to their saddles, just the three of them. And that their names were Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. And one of the most ridiculous legends that I've come across is stories of a guy called Rinald. He, is, he was the Bishop of Cologne. And apparently he dug up their skulls in, in the 12th century. And amazingly, their eyes were intact in their skulls and their eyes were looking towards Jerusalem. So it's, um, yeah, and you can actually go and see those skulls today. If you go to the Roman Catholic Church in Cologne, the cathedral there, you, you get to see them. But uh, there's nothing like a few holy relics to, to raise some money, is there? 
and that that's all it really was in those days, wasn't it? It was, um, it was a con job. It was a scam. Um, so needless to say, tradition is not always accurate. Now, what we do know about these men is that they would have been called magi. <coughs> Excuse me. And the word magi, we get it from the Greek word magos, which is where we get the English word wise, but we also get magic from this word. And the Greeks got it. They translated it from the, an old Persian word, and I'll give it a go, magupatai. And we know from the Greek historian Herodias, and I'm sure you've heard about this guy, that the Magi were a class of priests. So these guys belonged to a pagan priesthood. And some of these guys would have sat on the Persian king's ruling council. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 10, um, they are called magicians. They're called psychics. Astrologers. They are mentioned in Jeremiah 39 as being advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar. And that's where we get this name, wise men. In fact, so powerful were the Magi that you could not become king of Persia unless these Magi, these, these guys who were members of the, the ruling council, gave you the thumbs up. But one of their main preoccupations was the study of astronomy. They were very, very skilled in the study and the, the recording of celestial objects, such as stars, planets, comets, comets and, and galaxies. But they were also heavily involved in astrology. They would search for signs in celestial objects in the hope that they would be able to find out what's going to happen in the future. So if you believe in that, especially if you're a king, these were very, very valuable individuals to have around. These were powerful men. And then one night they saw something that would have been unusual to say the least. They saw a star. They saw a light in the sky that should not have been there. And it was a light so special that they decided to follow it. Believing that it was going to lead them to someone who was extremely important. Someone so important that they were deserving of their, their praise, their honor, and their worship. It was someone who was going to be a king, someone who was a king. Someone who was going to rule the entire world. And in fact, around this time, out of so many different cultures, there was talk of this coming king. The Romans spoke of him, their philosophers, the Greeks. They spoke of this coming king right before Christ was born, in and around that time. But where do you think that these magi learned about this coming king, this coming Jewish king? And it was from the Jews themselves. From the Jews who were taken into captivity hundreds of years previously by King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. So these Magi, they would have been extremely familiar with Jewish prophecy concerning the Jewish coming Messiah. 
maybe even from the prophet Daniel himself. And this knowledge was then written down and passed on through the generations. Maybe Daniel pointed them to the book of Numbers, where God gave Balaam an amazing prophecy concerning the coming Messiah. Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So here Jesus is prophetically called a star and a scepter. Now, in that he is glorious like a star. He is the light. And that he has all authority to rule this earth. And that's what a scepter symbolized. A kingship's, a king's authority. Jesus, Jesus Christ himself, he declared and it's recorded for us in the book of Revelation. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And the bright morning star, that's one of the names of the Messiah. So throughout the generations, these wise men, these Gentiles, these pagans were looking to the heavens for a star to rise. So they were expecting this to happen. So they leave their homes in Persia, they follow this star, and after traveling for probably months and months, they arrive in Israel, they arrive in Jerusalem. And when they arrive, they inquire as to the whereabouts of this new king. Verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So they came to worship the Messiah. Now this is interesting, isn't it? Here was God leading a group of idol worshippers to come and meet their son. It was an invitation. Here was God reaching out to men who were sorcerers, psychics, fortune tellers. Here is God communicating to us, to this world, that he will meet us wherever we are. Wherever we are. And isn't that the testimony of every believer here this morning? God met us. And that no one is too far gone for him. Absolutely nobody. And that God always had a plan for the Gentile nations. He, he always had a plan for us. John 3.16, it screams it. For God so loved what? He so loved the world. He so loved the Gentiles people. It wasn't just the Jews he loved. He came to save the world, all of us, to the Jew first and then the Gentile. That whoever believes in him will not perish. And then Jesus guarantees us eternal life. These wise men are witnesses to God's amazing love for the lost because they experienced it. But can you imagine their surprise 
when they realized that the Jews had absolutely no knowledge of this Messiah, no knowledge of this, this newly arrived king. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem was troubled with him. The wise men wanted to see the king of the Jews, and Herod certainly wasn't the man. In fact, Herod was given his position and title by, by Caesar Augustus in 40 BC. So he's, in, he's been in power now for a very long time. And history records of this man that he was, he was a, a really, really gifted administrator. Uh, he did a lot for the infrastructure of Israel. He did a lot for the, the welfare of the Jewish people, especially those outside Israel. <clears throat> he was a great builder. We know he built the, he added on to the second temple. But he was also paranoid. He was cruel. This man was ruthless. And he was a man who did not hesitate to kill anybody who might threaten his power, his position. He was given his throne up for nobody, for no man. He had his wife killed. He had his mother-in-law murdered. Now, we might forgive him that one. But then he went on to murder his three sons. Because he believed that they were conspiring against them. The Roman emperor himself, Augustus, he said, you're safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Such was this man's reputation. Herod knew that it wouldn't take much for an open revolt against his re regime. And news of these magi entering his city Speaking about this new king, it would have spread through the city like wildfire. So Herod had good reason to be rattled by his presence. In fact, he was terrified. He was shaking. Because these magi, these guys were influential. They were very respected individuals. They came from a powerful kingdom. They were kingmakers walking around Jerusalem asking to see the new king. But they certainly wouldn't have traveled alone. I don't think they would be seen dead on camels. Remember, these would have been wealthy individuals. They would have servants, tents, supplies. And they certainly would have been accompanied by, by a large contingent of soldiers to protect them. Maybe it was like a small army. And their arrival into Jerusalem would have got everyone's attention. So Herod, he had good reason to be troubled. He was old, he was sickly, he was coming to the end of his reign. And here was this small army seeking a new king. Verse 4. So what did he do? We see how he assembled the, the chief priest. He, he called up all the scribes. And he inquired as to where the Christ was to be born. And the priest, they immediately quote Micah 5.2, which predicted Bethlehem. So, uh, in Bethlehem of Judea, so this is the, the priest quoting Micah, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. <coughs> so we have this, the group of Gentiles eagerly inquiring into their Messiah's birthplace, the Jews' Messiah. And all they do is quote the prophet Micah, and that's it. Bethlehem was only five miles down the road. These guys, they could have walked it. And it's not as if it was a regular occurrence, Magi knocking on your door asking about a new king. This was an extraordinary event. But sadly, the chief priests and scribes, they, they couldn't care less, could they? They were totally uninterested to what, ha what was happening just a few miles down the road. And I'm sure their indifference would have shocked these wise men. I'm sure Herod's ignorance would have just blown them away. These religious leaders knew God's word. They were experts. But for them, it was all head knowledge, wasn't it? Jesus himself said to the Pharisees in John 5, he said to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you have refused to come to me that you may have life. Oh, the Pharisees, they hated Jesus, didn't they? These guys, they could recite from memory every prophecy that was written about the coming Messiah. Every prophecy. Prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. Yet they still rejected him. And as John wrote in John 1.11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And we have seen, haven't we, in our study of Romans, that the single greatest thing that kept the Jews unsaved was their belief that they could be right with God through their own efforts. That they could work their way into heaven. But as we know, justification, being declared righteous in God's eyes, not ours, justification cannot be earned by performing religious rituals or by keeping a list of rules or regulations in the hope that you'll, that you'll make God happy about you. That it's not enough to have knowledge of the truth. And these guys had all the knowledge. But you must also believe it. And they clearly didn't. You and I are justified before God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on that cross. And you are justified the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The chief priests and scribes, and I'll add the Pharisees to this, were, were so lost in their religion that they were in no need of a savior. They had no interest, no time. They were too busy trying to earn Herod's favor. Too busy making money from the temple kickbacks. Life was good. They did not want anybody to rock the boat. Especially a carpenter's son. Especially a Nazarene. And sadly, like so many people today, couldn't care less. 
thanks very much, not interested. I'm happy for you, but don't try to push your faith on me. Verses 7 to 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So being true to form, Herod very quickly came up with a cunning plan. He had a one-on-one with these magi, and he made inquiries as to when it was that they had first seen this star. So Herod wanted to know when Jesus was born, when the child was born. Now, we don't have the magi's response, but what we do have later on is, is Herod ordering every male child two years and under killed. Two years and under. That was how far this guy was willing to go to preserve power. Verses 9 to 10. (coughs) After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So this supernatural star returns, and again, they follow it until it descends over a house in Bethlehem. And they rejoiced with great joy. The apostle Paul told us to do that, didn't he? He he told us to rejoice in the Lord. But how easily we become distracted by life and its circumstances. How easy it is for us to lose our joy. How we forget what happened that night when our Lord and Savior came, when he became one of us. God directed Matthew to record this event so that every believer may share in the joy with these magi, with these men from the east. A joy that comes to those who receive the grace of salvation. A joy that comes to those who who know what it's like to have their sins forgiven. Joy that comes to those who share Jesus. Who share what he has done for each and every one of us. Now, you might be here this morning thinking that the gospel is not for you. Maybe you believe that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy of God's love. Or you believe, like I once did, that you don't need saving. You're wrong because everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short of God's glorious standard. And that standard is perfection. But that doesn't change the way that God feels about you. He loves you. And he loved you so much that he sent his only son to suffer a horrific death. That's love. Any question regarding God's love for humanity stops at the foot of the cross. It finishes right there. 
verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now, can you imagine the uproar in Bethlehem? This was a small village. Can you imagine the look on Joseph and Mary's face when these foreigners show up on their doorstep? They weren't expecting this. Yet they were the ones, these magi, these are the ones that responded to God's call. And we see this all the time, don't we? The most unlikeliest of, being, of people being called by God. Look at the Apostle Paul, a persecutor of the church, until he was knocked off his horse, blinded so that he might see the truth. So dramatic was Paul's transformation, so dramatic was his, his life change that many within the Jerusalem church, they thought that, they suspected that his coming to faith was just a ploy, that it was a trick, a way of infiltrating the church. God moves in really, really unexpected ways. And he constantly challenges our preconceived ideas by using the most unlikeliest of people to further his kingdom. And we're a, a church full of the most unlikeliest, aren't we? So we see Jesus, he's no longer a baby but a child. And we see that Joseph and Mary have, have taken up residence in, in Bethlehem. Now, they're, they're waiting on God's instructions as to what to do next. And notice that the Magi, they did not worship Joseph. They did not fall on their knees to worship Mary. They worshiped Jesus. These men understood that this child was to be worshiped. And Jesus never stopped anyone when they came to worship him, did they? He never did. These men acknowledged and honor, honored him as king of kings and lord of lords. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And this is why we give gifts at Christmas. We're, we're following the wise men's example. But notice how they worshipped. They worshipped the Lord by giving. And gold was a gift for a king. A gift that spoke of Jesus' deity. It pointed to the fact that Jesus was indeed the king of the Jews. They brought frankincense. And frankincense is associated with the functions of the temple priests. Pointing to the fact that Jesus not only came to be king, but also our high priest. And then we see this mirror. And mirror in these days was associated with death as it was one of the spices used to embalm people. So here was a gift that pointed to Christ's sacrifice, to his death on the cross. A king who would give his life for the sins of the world, a world that did not welcome him. So not only is Jesus Christ the high priest, he would die in order to save humanity. And these wise men, they had such faith. They traveled for months. They believed in God's word and they sacrificed so much to come and worship him. And finally, verse 12. 
And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So Herod had previously asked them to, to bring word as and when or if they have found this new king. But the Magi were warned by God not to go back to Herod, but to take a different, a less traveled route back home. And the Lord does that. He calls us sometimes to walk unfamiliar paths, a way that's different and sometimes costly, a road that we ourselves would not choose if we had a choice. <clears throat> and we do have a choice to follow God's will in our lives or to ignore it. Because following God will, it always comes with a cost. It will cost you financially when you learn to give. It will cost you time and effort when you decide to stand up and serve his church. It may cost you family and friends. It may even cost you your life. Because remember that there is absolutely no middle ground. There's no sitting on the fence. God has given his son as a gift and like any gift, it requires a response. You can accept it or you can leave it. It's your choice. And if you're not a believer here this morning, I'll finish on, at this. Look to Jesus. Repent of your sins. Put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because he is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to heaven the only way of obtaining the grace of God. And as for us, as for his church, we need to be reminding ourselves daily that we are his ambassadors, his representatives here on earth. And as such, we have a duty to declare this message that nobody is too far gone, that nobody is beyond redemption. So let's continue to spread the good news that Christ Jesus is Lord. Amen.